Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Nate Deanna, who is the co-founder of Dumpling. Dumpling is a company that provides tools, technology, and support that people need to run their own local businesses, powering thousands of grocery shopping, delivery, and personal services entrepreneurs throughout 50 states. And by pioneering a new approach to local entrepreneurship, Dumpling offers communities a more personal, ethical solution to the essential household errands and services that keep homes running. In this episode, we go through how Nate started this company, the incredible growth they've had since, and really where he's looking to go in the future, what the big vision is for Dumpling as they move forward. It's an exciting company battling some giants in the industries, and I really think they're going to they're gonna do extremely well and continue on with all the progress they've made up until this point. As always, the show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, and you can support the show by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. Without further ado, here is Nate Diana, the co-founder of Dumpling. Nate, welcome to the show. Thanks, Justin. Excited to be here. Yes, and with what you've done with Dumpling in the last you know, nearly four years or so, there's a lot to dig into. I always like to start at the beginning. How did Dumpling get started? And for people who aren't you know, familiar with it, what is Dumpling? Yeah. So Dumpling, we build tools, technology, and support for anyone that wants to run their own hyper-local business. Today, that's focused on grocery shopping. Um, so we're operating now across 50 states with a few thousand people who are using our tools for credit, um, for technology, and everything they need to now shop for their customers and really build their own business around it. In October 2016, when it got started, how did that happen exactly, Nate? Yeah, so I, um, my co-founder uh, Joel and I, we were we had actually met many years ago at our first job um, out of college. We were doing customer support in Austin, Texas, and um, we had stayed close for for many years. And we'd always talked about launching our own company. Uh, and the question was always just, what is that company? Um, and that's always that. That's probably a lot of it. Your audience. The big question, about. yeah. That's always the big question. So what we felt, what we really, really, uh, our inspiration was, we were both doing enterprise companies, and, and ultimately had seen you know, all the amazing technology coming out of the tech industry and out of Silicon Valley, machine learning and new payment systems and mobile mobility everywhere, um, and really most of the problems we saw being solved with that were really sort of targeted on you know the the one percenters, um, the people sort of on, in in technology on the coast, you know, really the ones thinking about the ideas and then obviously solving problems that that they saw in front of them. And our inspiration really was, what about everyone else? What about everyone yeah. else who's not who's not hanging out in in Bay Bay Area or Palo Alto? Um, what about them? And what could we actually do to be meaningful and and feel good about it, uh, but also solve real problems and 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 um, build a business? And that's where we really started spending time looking and talking to people, sort of outside of our typical you know Bay Area technology ecosystems. Um, we talked to people working at Walmart, uh, people who were driving Uber, people working at Home Depot, people shopping at Instacart. And really um, understanding like what they were using um, at work for for their tools, and um, really re- appreciated the the lack of anything that was valuable coming out of um, things I was doing um, were applied to them. 
And we said, right, we're going to create a company that's going to solve problems for everyone else. We don't know what those what that's going to look like, but it's going to be something interesting and it's going to be meaningful and it's going to keep us motivated. With that too, then understand that you're trying to get some more data on, on like, okay, what, what do people actually need? Like, what do they want? Like, how are you going about that? Like strategically in terms of who you're talking to, what you're trying to get out of those conversations, because that's such a huge part of starting any business is really understanding who the customers are, what possible pain points there are. I'm just curious on what your strategy was with that, Nate. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's what you find is um, when you sit around in a room and think about ideas and problems, um, you know, you can do the whiteboarding like everyone does, you realize you're just thinking about problems that you see. Um, but especially for us, for me and Joel initially, when you were trying to figure out, figure out problems that exist somewhere else, it was all about talking to people. So we literally, um, we thought, actually also realized we couldn't do this from our from working full time. So we had quit our jobs at that point, And we went on the road, we were in um, Oklahoma. Um, we spent a whole day at a bus depot interviewing bus drivers on what's like, what kind of phone do you have? What apps do you use? Who tells you what to do at work? How do you work? How could you be better? Do you have ideas to improve how you work? Sort of just very open-ended questions. Um, we spent day, a day um, in a hospital in Little Rock, Arkansas, talking to nurses. We spent days talking to people at Walmart and Target and Home Depot um, and really just asking like, what, what problems did they see? And then the thing we had actually heard sort of time and time again, sort of cross industry was um, not, not these negative like things are that are wrong, but more no one listens to me. Like I'm the one who does the bus, who actually drives the bus all day long and the bus route is not efficient. We could actually pick up more kids on time if we went this way, but I've got no authority to say, do that. Nurses say, hey, our process here doesn't make sense. It's actually hurting patients when we do this. People at Walmart saying, hey, we could actually improve the customer flow by doing this. But my feedback ends up going nowhere. Um, and that was initially our first inspiration for like, wow, like people have the best ideas sort of on the ground floor. How do we begin to up-level them and we listen better and then escalate those to people higher up in the organization? And our first very first product was like we called the voice of the worker, which is sort of crowdsourcing ideas at the front line for people to improve their job. And that's back, that was the beginning of Dumpling. Um, I mean, we've evolved quite a bit since then, but that was the beginning. Well, tell me to do that. Just stepping back for a second there. You're just driving across the United States at that time to talk yeah. to random people. Like, tell me more about that. Cause that's, yeah. that's definitely not what people would typically do for sure. Yeah. I mean, we're just, you know, sometimes you just gotta be crazy on these things. So we, um, it was, you know, we use our network. We talked to, you know, one of our, one of actually Joel and our friends, he, he was in, uh, he was working at a, at a company, tech company in uh, Oklahoma and his, um, his dad volunteered at the, bus depot. So I said, Hey, I can get you in with a bunch of, bunch of meetings with bus drivers. Um, we went to Little Rock and, um, there, my, my, uh, my dad worked at the hospital and he got us introduced to a bunch of nurses. Um, we went to wall, you know, we had friends who, who knew people at Walmart. We went to Walmart, talked to them. You just really just sort of use your, our networks to go find people, um, at the jobs and just began to spend time with them. And, and people were hungry to be listened to because you found a lot of these people aren't, aren't listened to. So when we were actually doing that, then people seemed to really, we obviously really enjoyed it. And the people that we interviewed also seemed to enjoy it as well. And from that too, understanding that a lot of times companies, they look much, much different now, years later than in the very beginning. But I'm always kind of fascinated about the initial versions, because if you look at Dumpling today, I mean, obviously you have huge plans for it. We'll get into that as well. But you've raised a Series A, you've raised over $8 million in funding, but that's that's today. That's what's gotten you to this point. Early on, you mentioned kind of it's a different version versus what it is today. What was that initial version though of dumpling? I'm just curious. Yeah, so we we effectively, we we were creating, um, our early inspiration was effectively called it the, the voice of the worker. And this was, 
how do we crowdsource ideas from people at any company? Um, we built a very basic website where you could find your company. You can pick Walmart and pick your city, or you can pick Uber and pick a location or wherever you work. And then you can add a comment. You can say, hey, I think we should improve um, the way drivers get paid based on their mileage rate. Or I think we should change the way that we do the checkout flow and, and move the line this direction. Um, and then what we had, uh, people would then crowdsource and basically upvote and downvote the best ideas. And as we saw those ideas that were really bubbling to the top, we, we our theory was really if you let things just bubble up in an organization, especially big organizations, uh, they're going to get lost. So a lot of things really need to happen top down. So we then really started building up our social media presence and began tweeting out to the um, owners of those businesses, to the board, to the CEO, really you know highlighting specific comments that were getting traction and talking about what those issues were really from a top-down perspective. Um, and that was really the beginning of what we started of, of really getting close to what's happening on the ground level. And with that too, I mean, what kind of traction were you, were you getting, Nate? I mean, you're having like a, a few people at each company or you have dozens of people at each company, hundreds. I mean, where were you at in the first like, you know, months or so of this? Yeah, we were getting, I mean, we were getting, we were getting, I mean, this is early days for us. We thought it was amazing. Maybe not now, but we were getting a few thousand reviews um, overall. But was, this was inspiration for us to where we pivoted to today is it really was clustered and it was definitely retail jobs. You know, we had a Walmart, Target um, um, people. And then what we really what was became the overwhelming majority were people doing gig jobs. Uber, uh, Instacart, DoorDash, um, Postmates began to become the majority of our of our users who were extremely vocal with things that they saw that were wrong with those companies and their ideas to improve them. And that was our that was our aha moment um, of something something is happening here and we we can we, we can figure it out. And at what point was that roughly just in the kind of timeline of of the business? I know I, I just like, at least from LinkedIn it was October of 2016 roughly it started. Then w- at what point do you kind of have that aha moment moment and then decide to pivot a bit with that? Yeah, we we spent. I mean, this is we spent the first when we effectively quit our jobs and you know end of you know late late part of 2016. The first, the first few months of a company finding founding is just like we're just thinking about ideas, trying things out, like just all, just the, the usual early days. <laughs> yeah, it's like the best and the worst days of you know no responsibilities, like you're thinking about <laughs> ideas. There's no customers yet, no investors, to, uh, all those things. So it's actually it's a really great time for a company, um, but also one that uh, you took us. You know, we spent um, uh, probably the basically the the, la- the rest of 2016 on the ideation phase, and then 2017 was really beginning to build. So we spent 2017 effectively building out the voice of the worker. And then at the end, 20, um, the, the, the back half of that was when we really began to narrow in on the gig, on gig workers and understanding what was happening there. And then 2019 is where we really began focusing on launching a product specifically for gig workers um, and then launched that early 2019, 2018. Yeah. 2018, other than 2019, you ended up getting that, the, a seed round of funding. Before that then, so understanding that you know, you're, you're in 2016 here, you quit your job. Did you, I mean, I assume you had some savings at first or did you get capital right away from like a seed round type of thing or like a family friends? Yeah, we, we bootstrapped. So we did, we effectively, we, we, uh, saved up, um, from our, from our jobs, you know, talked to our wives and, uh, and really said, we're going to, we're going to give it this go and see how long we can make it. Um, we gave ourselves, um, which, you know, we talked to a lot of, a lot of uh, advisors, they say, Hey, make sure you give yourself three to six months of, of, of runway. Um, we gave ourselves two years knowing that like this is this we think this is going to be like a long-term thing so let's make sure we, we don't want to run out of money too fast so we gave ourselves two years of live frugally 
um, but we'll live off savings to really make sure we give this a real solid go and, and then see what happens. And then two years, if it doesn't work out, then we know it just wasn't meant to be this time around and we'll find something else. But that was, that was the runway we gave ourselves to make it happen. And with that understanding you had, you had a little bit of time with that. Were there, were there moments where you're just thinking like, I don't know if we're going to make it in those two years or did you actually see some pretty consistent steady progress along the way that you're like, okay, we're pretty confident. Like this is what we're going to need to do. We're going to be, we're, we're going to be good with this. I, I think, I mean, I think the reality is up. If, if any, if any entrepreneur tells, tells me that it's just, it's all up into the right. I, I don't know. I think that's a hard story to believe. <laughs> so for sure, it's, there's a lot of days where like this, something's not working here. Like we're not, and, and especially in their very, your very, for our very first product, there was a lot of days where like, wow, no, we got no, no reviews today. Like nothing came in. Like what's something, something's broken. And then the next day you'd have 50 come in and you're like, wow, okay, we got this down. We got this figured out. We know what we're doing. Um, so definitely ups and downs um, on that process. And I think it was, uh, especially the first year, so 2018, of us really just trying to figure things out. Once we started narrowing in and getting more focused on um, what we were hearing from people working at Instacart and DoorDash was really what we thought, okay, something we now know this is this is not just a nice-to-have problem. This is an acute problem, like, like a my house is burning down kind of problem, a huge pain point affecting millions of people uh, that we were now felt much more confident that we were now solving the right problem and, and, not, and not solving sort of a, a, a too broad of a problem like we were initially. And knowing that you had figured this out, which is a huge part of it, I mean, figuring out what the actual problem is, is what you had discovered through through time. It took obviously time and a lot of talking to people and figuring things out. Then what was that version uh, of dumpling? What did that look like in terms of what you were going to build out knowing that you have this huge pain point for people and it's a real thing? What was the solution that you guys decided to build? Yeah. So when we, this again is talking to users, when we started asking some of the very best gig workers, especially we were, we were spending, we we're in the focusing more on people doing grocery shopping is where we found just the most passionate set of users um, initially. Uh, what we heard is uh, from many of them time and time again was, I really like my job. I like shopping. I like being in the store. I like helping people. I like um, just knowing I'm part of someone's family is, is a really rewarding thing for me. And I really like that experience of, of, of shopping. What I don't like is having this boss, which is an app that tells me when I can work, how I can work, what I can do, pays me some days, other days doesn't pay me correctly, does all these things that, that, that seems to be taking away my income. Um, those are the things I don't like. Um, but what I find is customers ask me every day, how do I get you as my shopper next time? Um, you're so amazing. You care about my avocados and care about how you pick fruit and all those things. Um, but I always tell them no. And the reason I tell them no, obviously, was our probing question. I was like, why do you say no? It's, well, how am I going to buy the groceries for you? Like, I don't, I don't have the money to buy those for you, and then you pay me later on. Like, I don't have access to that. Um, um, and that was, the, that was our hob. Wow, we're gonna, our very first product was actually a credit card, where we, we effectively issued credit cards to shoppers who wanted to run their own shopping business. And then we made sure that card was funded with enough money to buy groceries. And that was it. And that was that was the product. And that that was that was that was that was that was what we launched that launched everything on Dumpling and got our first set of shoppers using um, with nothing else. Um, that was was our credit card. And with that, understanding you're kind of guaranteeing that side of things, the funding was when did, where did that come in play here with this? Was that where you had that initial kind of seed round? Um, are the funding of the credit card, or the funding of, of the company, the funding to be able to have the credit card that you have users with, and then you have you can kind of secure that as well. Yeah, the, yeah, we that was we bootstrapped that. That was um, we bootstrapped it as well. So that was part of just Amazing. using you know digging into savings. And the good news is, in the early days, we didn't have a lot of users, so it wasn't it wasn't it's a easier. big problem. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't it wasn't a, it wasn't a big problem. And also, we you know what we found in the beauty of the model is is especially what we like about groceries is that the 
the cash cycle is very efficient. So someone buys groceries, we then charge the customer's card, and then we get paid back a couple of days later. So it was a very short cycle for us. So it wasn't like we had to fund these things for 30 days or 90 or years, like you might think about a lot of um, a lot of loans. These were were a couple of days, like almost micro loans that we were effectively providing people. Uh, made it much more uh, sustainable for us to launch, you know, on, on our own cash initially. And when you did that, I mean, what were you getting feedback from? I mean, like, what were they saying at least early on when you have these initial shoppers uh, on this platform and how did you kind of adapt from there? Because it was something where it seems like, yeah, it just makes a lot of sense if they can get, get the card. It's like, okay, well, yeah, I'll do the shopping for you. It's easy. What was the, the feedback? What was it like back then? Yeah, well, the first thing they said is, well, we were, so we're all, we were all West Coast. Um, so then at this point we had three co-founders. So me, um, Joel and Tom were running the company, um, all on uh, PST. And what we found is people, especially on these coasts where we had users, were shopping really early um, in the morning. And we had everything was manual. We were fa- funding every card by hand and taking money off, moving things around, charging things. Really, as a to really convince ourselves there was a product here. Yeah. And one morning we woke up and someone had went shopping at 5 a.m. our time and you know 8 8 8 a.m. their time and we missed the order card wasn't funded it was broken so there was no funding on these cards <laughs> and that was our first moment of okay we need to automate this process like we actually need a process where where all this happens without without someone being awake at five in the morning um, so that was the first thing we fixed so so Tom Tom began to um, Tom who's our co-founder and CTO he came in and fixed that problem. Um, and that's, that was great. So life was great. No longer were all of us waking up in the morning and staying up late, making sure the money was flowing. And then, um, which was which was great, was people said, great, I got the money, but to really run a business, I actually need, like, how do my customers create shopping lists? And how do they find my available time? And how do I market myself and talk about my services? And how, what's a, how do I create a website? All of these things began, like, questions that customer, in our case, our, our shoppers were asking us. And we said, great. Like, we can we can build that so we'll build like we're going to effectively start building the things you need to now operate your business beyond just the credit card and that was effectively a initially it was a website so we said hey apps take more time take more money um they're harder to they're harder to um to change quickly so let's build a very basic website that gives people a profile page a way to, to order a way for customers to put their credit card down and we'll build, use that as our first product to really prove again out that, that we can do more beyond, besides just a credit card with that then, so you're building all these things out then, there's obviously, you mentioned a we behind this. Talk, talk a little bit about the team behind us at this point when when you have made the pivot. Uh, was it just then the three of you or did you have a team, a bigger team behind that as well? No, it was, uh, well, we our, our working budget was um, uh, $0 per hour at this point. So the team, <laughs> the, team, the team was just me, Tom, and Joel. Um, full-time basically full-time had quit our jobs and um, working off sweat equity at this point so we built and effectively we had a really complementary skill set so tom um all things technology so he was building the product changing the products doing all the all the really the hard work on the product side and then joel and i both on the business side were sort of load balancing all the things we need to do in terms of finding customers finding finding shoppers making the money move properly um building out our whole our whole the whole product roadmap all those things we were sort of load balancing on ourselves and to that point, then at that time, I mean, how were you getting more people on this platform, or more more customers, more shoppers? How were you acquiring more customers at that point? Yeah, so this is you know in the early days when you're bootstrapped. Obviously, people talk about word of mouth. Um, word of mouth is 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 the name of the game for us. What we found in in the case of uh, the gig economy, there's a really really vibrant um, um, set of uh, communities online. Really, Facebook today. 
where where you see gig workers spend time. Um, there's groups for Uber drivers in the Bay Area. There's group for Instacart drivers in most cities across the country. We were we were members of most of those um, Facebook groups, talking about what we're doing, um, sharing stories, um, and then that was really the beginning of, of of shoppers getting to find us. And then as they as they use our platform, began to become successful, we then share their stories back in the other groups. And it just became this this constant stream of now new people applying every day um, uh, to sign up for this. We actually first launched when we first launched the the credit card product. We um, we announced it in a Facebook um, group, and in the first day we had um, over 500 signups. You know, basically beta signups for the product, and that was wow. sort of us the big trigger point of like, okay, something there there is demand. And the product we had was that we asked for was probably not quite up to, to what we actually built yet. But sure. it was the concept of like, we're going to give you the tools and credit card to now build your business around shopping, um, immediately saw a reaction from the community. And that was for us, the, the place that we kept on. Even today, we still, we still rely on heavily. Well, that's amazing. I mean, that, understanding that insight then of like, okay, these are, there are so many groups within that, that will be able to spread that way. Uh, I imagine then keeps the customer acquisition costs down a bit, or at least cheaper than just purely an acquisition through Facebook and Instagram, for instance, like directly at with ads. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was effectively, effectively it was zero. It was a zero cost. And, and this, again, was the only place that you find, especially in people doing gig work, there's no water cooler talk. There's no, um, you know, really networking groups. Their networking really is online. And, and if you can tap into the online communities, it's, it's just a, it's a beautiful place to, to build off of. And the, and the cost structure obviously is, is, is close to zero. And then understanding that you you were able to do so much bootstrapping. I mean, it, it, for it's remarkable the amount of like progress you made off of, of bootstrapping. It goes to show like what can happen when one you have some savings in, in there as well, but also being creative with how you grow. And then understanding you're finding these different groups online which help you grow more. At what point did it shift where you need to take on some institutional capital? Or you decided to at least uh, go that route. Yeah, I think you can only burn the midnight oil and just put in more hours for so for so long until you realize we we just need when you start getting into not only building out the funding mechanism and the web pages, but really recognizing, hey, the future of especially in doing things like home services is has to be mobile. So you have to have a not just a decent mobile app, but a beautiful mobile app experience and do all the things to make to make the infrastructure uh, work correctly. Um, also, what we realized is. To be a successful business owner, um, especially a hyper-local business owner, it's it's not about teaching people how to shop. Um, we find people who do shopping, they're amazing shoppers. Where we spend a lot of our time actually is teaching them how to be a business owner, how to talk about themselves, how to how to market on Facebook, how to build webs, how, how to like message themselves on their website, how to follow up with customers, how to price their service. And that was also sort of us to this whole coaching component. And that was for us to say, listen, to do this correctly, we have to have enough, like we have to have people, we need to have more engineers, we have to have more coaches, we have to do more marketing to build that out. Um, and that's where we sort of realized that to do that, obviously, you can't just you can't just ask people to work for free and then give them equity, you have to sort of pay competitive prices. And that's that was an inspiration of we had bootstrapped based on our own savings, but not on someone else's. So we have to be able to, to raise capital to now pay people correctly and appropriately. And was this the first time you've ever raised capital for business? Yeah, first time ever. Yeah, I, I, we, my prior job, I was doing at Cisco. I was doing venture investing, um, as well as corporate development. So I had many times uh, been an investor, giving people checks, but never uh, realized that it's much harder to be on the other side to actually <laughs> ask for people's money and then receive it. It's a whole different conversation. Yeah, and take me through that because I know there's a lot of people listening who will be curious about the fundraising side because that's a that's a very important part of any business, depending on what route you're going to go with that. But for you then, as a first time uh, raising capital, I mean, what was that experience like? How long did it take at, for the kind of initial seed round for 
for uh, your company? Yeah, it, it's um, it's uh, raising money is really hard. No matter good times or bad times, it's hard. So we did we did it in stages. So uh, first is we went. Um, we, we were lucky enough to have a lot of our the form, former people we worked with, bosses, coworkers, um, uh, that would, that invested in us really in, in the form of like a safe, um, that we did in the early days to really just give us enough to get to now start, start paying for, for different consulting costs, paying for engineering costs, just the very basic things was, was the beginning. And that was very much just hitting the ground with our, our own networks and selling the vision for what we're building. Um, and it was a, mo- a lot of selling the vision for who we are as individuals and a little bit about the company at that time. And that and that gave us that gave us enough runway to then really then spend time talking to institutional investors. Gotcha. And that, that is something I was curious about because there's uh, many ways to go about that. And for people who aren't familiar, basically, the safe is going to end up converting when you raise equity. When essentially you give equity later on. But I, there's many different ways to go about it. But essentially, they're getting a discount uh, in the next round for people who use the safe. Uh, and then Y Combinator was the one who kind of started that whole thing. And, and then raising that then that institutional round. I mean, you raised a couple of them, the seed round and also the, the Series A. Take me through that in terms of like that process as well. And maybe what was most helpful for you going through that? Because it, it is so difficult. And I've heard from every single founder we've talked about fundraising, how difficult it is. Uh, I'm curious on what your experience was then, Nate, with that. Yeah, um, resilience. So for sure, just be resilient. And you're just going to, and it's one of those things where your first pitch is going to be terrible. Um, and it's not going to be, you're going to just, trip over your words and it's not going to resonate. And especially for us, we were, you know, really pitching this concept of, Hey, we're going to empower gig workers to run their own business. And, and today it's actually people are like, yeah, that, that's don't bring in a great idea. Guys, great idea. Um, <laughs> in, which is like, yeah, of course it's a great idea. Well, we in, know. <laughs> 20, in, in, uh, in 2018, it wasn't, it was like, wait, you're going to give like an Uber driver. Like he's not going to, he or she's not going to want to run their own business and Instacart shop. Like, like that, that doesn't make, that makes no sense actually. So um, it's a lot of, of, of but, we, but we had a lot of conviction because we actually experience, experienced this firsthand. Um, all of us actually, as part of this process I did earlier, is um, me, Joel, and Tom all started working for Instacart as shoppers. We started working for, for Lyft as drivers. We started doing these gig jobs, and we became more and more convinced like, that the problem we're solving is real. So going to investing, you know, in the first set of VC meetings we had, we're just like, what are you talking about? Like, who are these people? I have, why, I, we were just much, I think we had much more confidence that like, even though if you don't see it, um, we know it's there. And that gave us, I think, really, I said, we have to just improve our pitch and improve our story and improve our examples. And then ultimately, really, um, we started, instead of drive, drive, uh, creating a broad net of investors, really began to focus in on referrals. So people, we pe- other entrepreneurs we spoke with, people in our own network, our advisors that we had been working with getting their introductions to the people that would, they thought would really understand um, our model. And that's where, that was really where we got, um, initially got, then got connected to uh, Ann Murko over at Floodgate, who really from the very beginning, um, she was she was an early investor in TaskRabbit. Um, she invested in Lyft and really had seen the evolution of the gig model um, sort of front, um, front and center. And as soon as we pitched her, then we could just tell it clicked. Like the things that we were building in the story and the evolution, she, had, she wasn't learning about this for the first time. She had seen this for for many many years in terms of how the model was evolving, and it was just a sort of a, a perfect fit for us. And then it moved very quickly. And, and in that moving quickly, you're saying it moved the the funding round moved quickly after that, or you're saying like the company itself? I guess maybe both. Uh, I would I would say uh, I would say both. Yeah, both. The, the the funding round then closed very quickly after that, and then now we're talking to early 2019. We closed that round, brought in um, also fuel capital. Um, who uh, um, Leah, who was the, who was the founder of TaskRabbit, um, is one of the partners there. Who Anne also invested in, so she joined joined the round, and that moved very quickly. Um, and then once we had capital, 
then that was obviously after the races okay now we actually can can hire out the engineering team we want the coaching team we want we built out the apps um, we had very primitive apps built out you know production ready apps launched those uh, and began to roll that out across uh, a number a number of markets and with that too understanding the growth is going to take place after you raise that funding how did you look at which markets to approach? I mean, strategically going through that process, because there's something where you have a lot of different options, but of course you also had data and everything as well. I'm curious on just how you were looking at that expansion for you. Yeah. We, we had a lot of just internal thoughts on, we know, we know our model applies across almost any, any segment of home services, whether this is dog walking or house cleaning or, um, uh, Unloading dishwasher, whatever that might be, um, grocery shopping. Obviously, I think the model applies very well. Um, we really first first focus was just, hey, there's so much to do to make the grocery shopping experience just a beautiful experience for both the end client as well as the business owner doing doing the shopping. So first focus was just like we're going to really double down and just focus on grocery um, and not get distracted by the markets to just yet. Um, and then two, it was really focusing on 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 we we weren't specific on specific markets like like a specific geography. We were focused on which, wherever we found a shopper that was really being successful and beginning to show traction and growth, we beginning to invest in them. So spend more time with them. What do they need? Helping them with doing their marketing, helping them do Facebook ads, but being very focused on the people that were being successful to help sort of accelerate their success. Um, and that was sort of ended up being, you know, there are people in South Florida, people in Southern California, people in Seattle, uh, people in St. Louis, and wherever we found good people who were shopping, we began to just spend our time with, with them um, and, and really grow their business more quickly. And that would then turn into them referring more 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 shoppers and more clients, and that began to build the, sort of the, uh, the momentum for us on the ground. And take me through then, like with that, with working with these different people who are, they are business owners essentially with within Dumpling, then what are kind of more of the tools today that you are giving to them Based on your experience of obviously working with them, uh, talking to more and more to get an idea of what they needed, like what does that look like today in 2020? So we've, I mean, all of us came on the enterprise side, and when you're working in the enterprise, you realize, you know, enterprises need need an entire ERP system and a CRM system and a marketing automation system and a social media, all these different tools <laughs> that people, I mean, and, and, and entire verticals, right, are creating, you know, billion dollar companies. Obviously, each of those are created. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, which is great. What we what we realized is to be a small business, especially a micro entrepreneur, you you actually need that same you need those same um, um, types of technology, but a very uh, basic version of it. So you need a basic way to manage your customers, you need a way to manage orders, you need a way to manage your capital, you need a way to do do marketing, you need a way to be a follow up with customers. So we so we we've now built out um, effectively two fully functional apps. Um, one is called the Boss App, um, uh, which we think is a, is, a, is a nice name for like you're the boss, and this is where you you create your profile, create your social media presence, create your color scheme, all the things you do to sort of brand your company, create your uh, metadata on your web page, um, create your pricing model for how you price your services, what stores do you shop at. It manages all your customers, so all your customers that have that have already downloaded the app or that have booked orders. It's your entire CRM for customer management, um, and then ultimately, it's the place where when you're actually shopping, you're actually using that to check things off the shopping list, um, add things, custom message back to your customers, do all that from the Boss app today. So we think it is sort of think of as as a business in a box for for a gig worker I and mean, for an entrepreneur in our case. And you mentioned the pricing for them, but for you, then what was the business model behind Dumpling uh, the whole time? Like, what what was that for you guys? Uh, we've, we've like many companies, we've, we've evolved, um, the model, but ultimately, uh, you know, we, 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 
have always looked at, we want to provide our primary customer is the business owner and we want to create value for them. Yeah. And every other marketplace out there, really, they see the person doing the work really as just as an independent contractor and they're just a cost of doing business. We have to pay someone to do the shopping or do the driving or whatever else. Um, we, we turned that model on its head and said, listen, that's actually the most important asset you have here is the person actually does matter. The way they think about shopping and the way they communicate and the way they follow up and do all those things, that's the person you should actually idolize and actually put on a, on a pedestal. Um, and in that case, we, we, we want to court them and give them tools. And that model, we said it had to be clear. Like they need to be paying us then to do that. Like you pay us. So as so someone running their business on Dumpling um, pays us a monthly fee to use the platform. So, that, so that's that sort of foundational part of the business. And then two, we also recognize that when you're moving lots of money and doing lots of shopping, there are just a transactional cost, like to move all the money, to do credit cards, to do loans, everything else. So we also charge a, um, a percentage fee of the transactions that go through the platform that, that we collect to effectively cover all the all of our costs in, in the in the in the system. You know, credit card fees, um, fraud protection, all those kind of things. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes total sense. And and then with with running this business, I mean, especially in the, in the last four years and how far you've grown and come to this point. How do you kind of manage the the short term execution in the weed stuff versus the longer term bigger vision for what you're you're trying to get done? Yeah, so I mean, definitely, you know, in the early days when I was telling you we were just ideating, there it's all about the long term vision. It's all long term, no short term, all long term. Um, <laughs> and then I think as you get going, you begin to you begin to really start pivoting much more to short term. Like just keeping the lights on is a is a full time job. Um, so we definitely pivoted to what's going to get us the next the next couple of weeks of, of of customers and and things that we can now build on. Um, and now I think we're in a much um, healthier spot just to, just to balance that where a lot of the daily execution is on what's happening this week and this month and sort of the next the next set of sprints for us. Um, and then two, we do every every quarter we get together, the whole team, we're all distributed by the way, so we're all operating sort of in, in homes across the country, um, but we get together every quarter really for an offsite. And that's really meant to be much more long-term. We think about longer-term vision, you know, really are we living up to our values? What's next beyond grocery? Um, how do we really change the model, you know, more dramatically? Uh, and it's where we spend much more term, time on the long-term part of the business. And with, we talked about funding a little bit earlier, but I'm just curious as to what differences you saw between kind of that seed round and then raising the Series A, which was in 2020 here. What differences do you have between those for anyone? Because I know there's a number of entrepreneurs I've talked to who are, have raised a seed round or either raising their Series A now or they're going to be in a matter of months. Uh, just curious from your perspective of having done it, any particular differences? Was it the same? Uh, just anything you have on that? Yeah, so when you're, when you're raising your you know, pre-seed, in our case of angels and then seed, Yep. It's really selling, selling, the, selling the dream. You're selling, you're, you're selling the dream of here's where we're going. We see this giant market of people that have been disenfranchised by what's happening in the gig economy, who are thirsty for a better experience and who wanted to want to who want to build this themselves. And we're going to solve that problem with with tools. Um, so selling the dream, and, and then enough data points to say, okay, this is if you have some product, you have some customers. I can talk to someone that says yes, Nate, Joel, and Tom. Like I, I, that is correct. I'm I'm a <laughs> customer here. So 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 that's that to me is like is like the early stage. And then the Series A is you got to have this like it's got to be data. It's like the dream has to be really good um, for sure. Uh, and then two, but you have to have um, enough usage where you can say, hey, listen, here's actually my revenue. Here's my financial model. Here's how this all flows out. It doesn't have to be huge, but it has to be like there has to be like a real business to show like here's data points. Here's our cohort analysis. Here's our here's our attrition rate. Here's our churn. All those kind of things. Um, for us, we felt like had to have enough of that to begin to really now then court the Series A investors. 
along the way with that process too of fundraising, was there any, I mean, how, I guess, I guess I'm wondering how much did you kind of draw on those first initial investors for, for ideas for how, what, to, what to do while you're raising your series A, who to talk to, was it all just kind of still going referral based from them or how did you kind of leverage those people, your initial investors to then go through the series A? Yeah. So, I mean, so it's, it, it all, it all compounds. So our, it's one of all of our, all of the meetings we had for our series A were all, all from um, the, basically the top list of people that we asked from, from our investors, our existing investors. So from um, Anne and Leah were effectively, we went through their list of people and that was our outreach. Um, so we were very targeted um, um, because you sort of get, you begin to get the credibility. Once you have the seed, then things begin to get, get, get easier. And then we actually, I actually met um, our, our Series A investor, Brian from Forerunner at a dinner that was hosted by um, actually Iris at uh, Floodgate. So that was, mm-hmm. again, so it was one of those things where once you, you're really sitting close to the family and spending time <laughs> with people that they trust, it ends up yep. being just a really, just a way more efficient model. And, and then, you know, from the beginning versus spending a lot of time doing, you know, investor diligence as well. Like who are these people? Once, when, when investors invest with other, other investors, they get to know each other, they know their styles, all those things we found is just a really efficient way for us to get going and find people that are like-minded as well. Um, and ultimately for us is, you know, we're, we're building this thing out for the long term. here is, you know, what we found is. You know, very few companies have an idea and then sell a couple of years later. That's 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 the you know maybe the Instagram story. Sure. But the but the reality of it is, and I, when I was a acquirer for Cisco, we realized most companies don't get like, their exit for a very successful company can happen 10, 15 years after founding. Yeah. So you better you, this is a long journey. Uh, no, <laughs> for, even if you're really successful, it's a long journey. So you better find people that are that are aligned and. And then when we met Brian, really talking about like really betting on the supply side, how that works. Um, and he had already he'd already spent time in the gig economy, spent time writing about this this problem, spent time about how you really could, you know, how many anomalies happen when you're doing service businesses that have to be fixed in the field, and how a different model is needed. So it was just a perfect fit when we started talking it, that we um, there was already alignment at the top level um, in terms of vision wise, and then working with our existing investors um, made it made it a much easier process for us. And I know we talked about this earlier a little bit with how you kind of initially were getting customers and leveraging Facebook groups and that sort of communities online, which you say you still do some of that now. But how has that kind of customer acquisition strategy changed, especially as you've raised funding? I'm just curious on how that's evolved over time for you for Dumpling. Yeah. So in the early in the early days, uh, and still 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 is a viable part of our model today. We rely heavily on the business owners. Um, we find business owners through social media and through word of mouth from them, um, uh, which is great still because that's still just there's vibrant economies um, online. Yeah. And then and then when from there, many once you launch a business, the first thing is great. Like how do I find customers? And the first place you go for a local business is well, let me talk to my network, my friends, my family, the school group, the mom's group, the dad's group, the daycare group, uh, the church group. Um, you know, my <laughs> local Facebook page, my next door page. That becomes this way to get access to these really local customers. Which, if you're if you're a company like like Dumpling, trying to get access to every single hyperlocal market is extremely expensive and hard. But if you have people who are running the platform who are doing doing that work on their on you know for themselves for their business, it makes it a really efficient way for us to, to find find customers on both sides. Um, so that's that's been so we've really that was the beginning of our model. And we still invest in that heavily. And then what we found is, especially in the in the post COVID world. As people began to realize, like, wow, I can't go to the grocery store anymore. We just started. We f- started finding that business owners themselves couldn't get the word out fast enough for for where that where their services were. 
So we began to really create much more of a, of a client-facing experience where you can now search. If you want a personal grocery shopper, come to dumpling.us, search, put in your zip code, and now search for a personal shopper, read their profiles, read their specialties, read their reviews, and now, now find a personal shopper. And then, can, and then once you connect, you're not connected one-to-one. And we've now seen our model very quickly evolve where, where many of, if not most of our customers now come in where they're, they're finding Dumpling first and then using Dumpling to find now a personal shopper in their region and then connecting directly. And so, so we're betting on both sort of both sides of that market today. Yeah, that makes total sense. And, and you mentioned COVID as well. I mean, take me through how else that's kind of affected Dumpling in the last number of months here. We're recording this at the end of uh, August 2020. Um, it's, it's been wild. Um, it's been wild. So we remember the day March 12th was we were tracking, you know, we were seeing nice growth, daily growth. And then something on March 12th happened where we just said like, wow, this is, this is the biggest day we've ever had, like by, <laughs> by, uh, you know, probably double. Um, Whoa. and then we said, like, wow, this is, that's cool. Guys, high five. That was an awesome day. And then the next day was bigger and the next day was bigger and the next day was bigger. And then we were at the point where we were Every Friday was double the previous Friday. Oh my god! <laughs> and then and to Jeez. the point where um, we 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 grew twenty x um, over the course of a few weeks, and um, it was just it was all hands on deck for everything we built. Um, we had obviously planned for it to grow twenty x. We just thought we'd have a little more time to sort of build yeah. it out and test it. And we you know we did um, you know they call it load testing. Um, we just did it um, real time load testing, so production load testing of <laughs> okay great. So and things you know a lot of things like the technology itself was amazing, scaled beautifully. And then a lot of things that did break were like wow we had um, we had one person doing customer support, um, our operations manager who's amazing, and that turned into it, all hands on deck. Like everyone's doing. I was in customer. Everyone got all call hands on deck to customer support. Um, we found that we were we were floating the money. We were using the, the money that we were um, to buy groceries were coming out of, out of equity. Well, we realized we were now spending now um, a significant amount of our future uh, uh, burn that we're going to use for operating expenses. For now, we're now going into groceries, grocery expenses. Um, and that was now, so we're now, we were now running out of, you know, our money was dwindling quickly and we were now shifting on whose card had money at a given time to make sure we had enough money to float everyone at the same time. So things just for for about two months were just complete chaos. Um, and in the process of that, we actually were also raising our Series A. So it was all things were um, coming together, and it was just uh, mostly just pure uh, grit, uh, as they say, to just keep the lights going and, and focusing on on keeping, keeping the business going. That's, I mean, to have 20X in a number of weeks is kind of insane. I think I, I also talked to Zulega Strassner uh, from Zero, Zero Grocery, and they, they like, I think 15X in a few months too. I mean, just... COVID really affected companies in a, in a big way, obviously negative for many companies, but in this case as well, a positive impact. And uh, it's, I mean, you can't really predict something like that. And obviously you roll with it from there. Did that shift any of your thinking around growth, any of your thinking around like what targets and everything? How did that shift what you were going to do after understanding this growth that happened from it, but not really knowing what to predict in the future? Yeah, it, it, I mean, it, it, I wouldn't say it changed everything. It just changed almost everything in terms of it was rather than new features, it was how do we scale things that were, you know, how do we, we are doing phone support. So we built out an entire system now based on or in-app messaging. So that, you know, that, that was the thing we would have put done it eventually, but would have been, you know, six months from now type thing. Yeah. We did that overnight. We had had a funding mechanism. We, we were estimating how much groceries would cost and it was a very rough estimate. 
we had to make that get much more accurate very quickly so we can fund, so we could have enough money to fund everyone uh, quickly. We had to change that model. <laughs> Our, our sign-in process, we had to, it was actually, we were sending out, you know, now thousands and thousands of text messages all the time. And so that was, that was breaking now. So we had to change that process. So it was a lot of the things that we, that were just, um, were, that were functioning before that were no longer, were, were no longer functioning the way we wanted to and had to sort of re reinvent all those pieces. So that was where most of our time was spent. And, and now it's sort of now a few months later is now we've been able to now go back and kind of go back to the plan for what are all the things that we want to, that we really do want to invest in that are not just keep the lights on, but they're adding more value for our users. Along the way with that happening during COVID and it's just kind of craziness, I imagine. I mean, are you going, reaching out to your investors for feedback on what to do as you're scaling that fast? Are you going to, like, who are you talking to? How are you getting support through this? Or it's just a matter of, you know, obviously thinking through problems with, with your team. I'm just curious on how much you kind of relied on or just uh, use the resources of like the investors or anyone else to, to kind of guide you through this. Yeah. I mean, de definitely a lot of it is just your, you know, your founding team is critical and the whole team ultimately here, we, it was a small team at the time. I think we had eight of us. It was, uh, we were getting together every, um, historically we were distributed and we have two sort of standing meetings that we do every, every week. We were getting together every morning for sort of an all hands of just like, what is the most burning issue that's going to shut us down today? Um, so it was a, it was a morning thing. Like just said, like, let's get ready for, for whatever disaster is going to happen. Let's focus on that one issue or two issues or 10 issues, whatever that would be. Um, so that was, that was, so that was most of the team. And then as we got into specific issues where we knew we had advisors or, or investors. So for example, on how do we manage the capital issues and fundraising and uh, raising more money, that was obviously talking, um, very regularly to our investors to figure that problem out. And eventually that turned us into we need to um, accelerate our Series A raise and do that. Do that now. We were doing it in the summertime, sort of after summer potentially, sort of like this. Probably right about now would have been the kickoff, and we said we 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 need to solve these problems much faster. And having more capital is gonna is gonna do a lot for us. So that was um, a big part of our investors influencing us on that. And one thing we haven't really talked about yet, but uh, people might be thinking about too as well. I mean, your competitors. How do you look at? competition for dumpling, understanding that you, you, the other gig workers, other gig companies, uh, are, are not offering what say what they, what the people need, but they are out there. I mean, how do you look at competition or, or who is even your competition? Yeah, we, I mean, we look at for, for sure today we're offering, um, hyper local home services around grocery shopping. So for sure, like the near term competition, you know, the Instacarts, the DoorDashes, the Postmates, the ship, Amazon fresh, are are people that our consumers are, are also using um, in many cases. In many cases, they switch from from those solutions to our solution. So we see them as the near term solution. Um, ultimately, though, we've we think of ourselves and not just as one more gig company trying to you know trying to you know create some tools and connect or, or start trying to connect you know, people supply and demand and 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 do that. We've really said we are building tools for people to launch a business. Um, and there, you think about like our longer term vision is much more. Um, companies like Intuit, like Shopify, which really are focused on small business tools. And those are the ones we think we're going to, you know, first, like really successful, we'll be competing with them um, in the future. Um, not, not these, um, not these big companies like Instacart. Yeah. More hands-on offering for these biz people to create businesses. I mean, that's what you've, you've mentioned before. And then also looking across websites and other stuff that you've, uh, you've written about that's, that's kind of what it seems to be is the, the focus and helping people really grow their own businesses. I mean, from Looking back at before you even started this, understanding what it's become, is it what you've expected or what you thought entrepreneurship might be? I'm just curious. 
Um, I think entrepreneur, you know, everyone talk, tells you how hard entrepreneurship is. I, I think it's whatever you imagine. It's, it's probably 10 times harder once you actually <laughs> do it. Um, I think is the reality, um, uh, is just the reality. So I think, I think it's way, it, it's, I would say it's 10 times as rewarding as I thought it would be. And 10 times, maybe even hard, maybe more than 10 times harder than I thought it would be. And when you say I, how so with being that much harder for people who are trying to understand or trying to wrap their heads around what entrepreneurship can be. And that's not to dissuade anyone from being an entrepreneur. I just want to know like, what, what do you mean from that? Yeah, no, I, I, it's the, it's the best. I think what, I think what you find with entrepreneurship is when so much of it is you can have, even if you have the best, the best ideas are, I just find it's like, you know, you think about entrepreneurship, like I, I have to have this amazing idea. Like what's my aha moment that I'm going to go, go do that. What we find is actually, whatever your aha moment actually is, is probably wrong. Like the smallest, the smarter you are, you know, my experience has been, I think Joel and I and Tom, when you talk about it, it's like the smarter you are, your aha moment is probably even more wrong because then you're convinced like, oh, this is a great idea. Here's why I'm going to give you my entire thesis about why it's amazing. Um, but the reality is when you actually try it, it's like, wow, that was actually kind of a dumb idea. It just, it wasn't, it, it started great on paper, but it was a dumb idea. So what I, what we found, I think together, what I definitely have seen is, it's the it's the taking something from nothing where it's like an idea even if it's a great idea it's probably gonna be a terrible idea so taking a terrible idea or a mediocre idea and turning it into something is is you know sort of more of an ultra marathon this is like a, where you're now every day your your feet hurt you're trying to figure stuff out most times people are telling you this idea is a dumb idea most customers are saying hey this is hey it's not like great you're missing all these features this doesn't make sense like all these things that are sort of very negative because you're still you're still learning um, that's, that's especially the first, you know, for us by the first couple of years is really mostly getting negative feedback signals. And that's what I think is that to get past all that, you've got to have pretty thick skin to just sort of like say, no, I still, like, there's still something, there's still some silver lining here that I'm seeing <laughs> or some gold nugget. And it's, and if you get influenced by everyone around you, it too, too quickly, you're always like, this is just a, you'll be like, you know what, maybe this is a dumb idea. I'm just going to stop doing this. So that's where I think I say, it's like, I didn't realize how long it took to take a, even a good idea and refine it and actually build a product, get customers, evolve it. It's still going to be, a, the first product is going to be a terrible product. It's going to, it's going to be ugly. People will hate it. And then still saying, right, I'm going to fix this thing and fix this and change that. I think is probably the part that I, that is much harder than I, than I initially expected. Nate, being on this side of it now with the being an entrepreneur versus being an investor, is there one or the other that you have enjoyed more? Is I, I'm just curious on your perspective because you've done kind of both and been, been on both sides now. I, I'm I'm all in on on the entrepreneur side now. Um, I think it's the for me it's just the the personal satisfaction of you think about these ideas, you spend time, but then it's really you're rolling up your sleeves and you're in the weeds. I mean, it's you know we joke that it's like we're running the company and also taking out the trash. Like we're and by the way, most of our time is taking out the trash, right? It's literally doing. <laughs> right. It's you know all of us are doing. You know we do even the entire founding team, we all do customer support every week. You know, we're, we're talking to customers doing customers. And by the way, customer support is tough because it's when things are broken. Someone's in the store. It's like, my card didn't work. What the heck happened? You guys broke this or this is wrong or whatever else is happening. So I think really, you know, really, um, but it's also then when it's like when they're happy and then you're like, wow, they're like, like this is amazing. And you're like, wow, I'm talking to the founder of Dumpling. And I'm like, wow, yeah. this is like, well, it's like, wow, I, I, this is actually amazing. Like, like I'm not the founder of Dumpling. Um, so I think those are things where, um, just the, just seeing what we spend so much time thinking about and building. And then when people actually enjoy it and say like, this is amazing. Like I now, this is the first time I've had a full, like a, a fulfilling job, um, where I can now earn my, earn my income and, and pay for my, pay for my family and do all these things running on your platform. 
I think those are the things that it's really hard to get in any other job unless it's really your own baby. And, and that's where I think entrepreneurship um, really shines. And understanding that you have those those highs of, of these great moments as well from the work you're doing and, and you're making an impact through what you are actually inherently doing, you're, you've built. And then understand that there's also difficulties and hard times and long hours, et cetera. How do you recharge or make sure you're kind of your, your best self at work each day? Yeah, it's, um, and we've, you always have up and ups and downs. I think what we find is you have to just have that support system. So I've, um, I've used a few sources. One is your co-founders have to, like your co-founders are the only ones who really get everything. Um, advisors and family and everyone else, investors, like they see parts of it, but really co-founders are the ones who've seen the ups, ups and downs. So I've known Joel for 20 years. I've known Tom for 10 years. So there, it's just like, that's really important. Um, so just like really having time where we can just not talk about work and talk about, um, you know, grab a beer, get on Zoom, get on the phone, whatever that is to actually just talk about just what's happening in life is really important. Um, for sure, family, you know, having having a spouse that really understands it and sees um, how much we love it and just able to sort of ground us when we're saying, this is like, what the heck? Well, this just doesn't work. Something's <laughs> broken. Like, that's really important. And then I think then I think it's also like having advisors who kind of who know you. One of my, one of my advisors, my former boss, both people that I've known for a long time, who know who who've known me before Dumpling, um, just to sort of ground me as well on just like here's how things used to be and here's why you did this, reminding me of those kind of things is also super helpful. Um, so I think it's just finding people that you can talk to um, that that know you outside of work is a really important piece. When there's no time, when there's no time in the day, the first thing that goes, and for sure for me, I mean, the first couple of years of dumpling, the first thing that you drop is is probably taking care of yourself in terms of eating and and sleeping and working out, drop off very quickly. And I think there where I've now spent a lot of us actually have spent time, and I, one of our one of our investors, Fuel, really encourages just like how important it is to be like sort of be well yourself, you know, sort of uh, mentally and physically. So really getting back into making time, like I carve out time during lunch to make sure hey, that's my workout time, eat, eat healthy and, and, and work out things and, and then make sure I sleep and do those kind of things are really important to sort of be able to like just manage the, the, the ultra marathon we're running. And then from that, obviously you have a support system of uh, incredible people around you, which is, I think, probably one of the best things you can do, but also in terms of learning and growth, have there been any particular books, whether it be personal or professional, that have been impactful for you? Uh, yes. I one of, one of my favorites, um, just in technology, and this is when I was an investor and also now definitely shaped, shaped my thinking as, a, as an entrepreneur, um, is um, Clay Christensen's book, uh, The Innovator's Dilemma. And then the innovator solution actually is, is a sort of a summary of that with with uh, with more context on it. I think just really um, really has shaped me. Just think about just the things that you're doing in terms of the people you're hiring and the way you're solving problems and the way you're pricing and how you're attacking the market um, is just fundamental. And if you're going to be a disruptive company, you have to make sure you're thinking about those things. Um, and then also the inverse is true. Like when you're going after big companies, it really to me highlighted. Just what are the weaknesses? Um, and one of the biggest weaknesses is like companies, they go out there and they solve a problem and they, and they put all the resources and assets and pricing model to solve that problem. And as the market evolves and things change, those things, it's very hard to change an organization, especially as you become more established. So that's, to me, a huge chance for entrepreneurs to then, then go, go, go after really established, successful companies and really beat them. If you can find those weak spots, uh, and his whole book and all thesis is, is, is around those things. And um, so I, I, I would really recommend that. And then Nate, where can people go to learn more about Dumpling and the work you're doing there? Um, dumpling.us is the place to go. 
I will be sure to link up everything we discuss in the episode today in the show notes at justgogrind.com slash podcast. Nate, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today, man. Justin, appreciate it and look forward to doing it again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.